Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jessie theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created LaJoy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello, y'all. So today I have Amy Folkman with me, and we're going to share Amy's story, and she is going to teach you all and share with you so much amazing things. So um, we're just going to get into it. Hello, Amy. Hey, how are you? I'm well. How are you today? I'm great. So here we are with Amy today. And Amy, let's get us started. Tell me where you'd like to start. So how about, um, I think there was, um, you asked me when we were talking earlier about like a defining moment um, kind of thing um, that just, kind of changed, like shifted my course. And, um, I, it was a very interesting question because I've had several of those moments, um, like over the last few years and they were all very surprisingly different. So I think where I want to start is kind of where our trauma started. Um, we had a lot of trauma, which could have really led to a very, um, miserable and broken hearted life. Um, we had three miscarriages within seven months. Um, the last one was an ectopic pregnancy. So um, I actually almost died. Kind of didn't know that's what was happening. Um, and I've always had this um, just kind of thought process that you just keep moving forward. Like what other options do you have? You just pick yourself up and you just go on to the next part of your life. And so through these miscarriages, it led to discover that I had stage four endometriosis. We tried to have several surgeries to really, it wasn't about getting pregnant. It was about getting me out of pain because um, the pain was debilitating. And um, then when we realized um, there was like this, it was, there's one surgery and the doctor went in and he kind of glued me back up. He just couldn't do anything. And so, um, we had a period of time about two weeks from when I, he couldn't do anything from that surgery. It was like the last, kind of like the last thing to where I thought that the answer was going to be me needing to have a hysterectomy. And I remember very vividly, there was this one Sunday and I couldn't stop crying. I was crying and crying and crying and crying because what I was most afraid of, of was having to make the decision. Like I, I went and I prayed and I was like, God, I cannot make the decision to choose to have a hysterectomy. I don't, I couldn't live with the fact of, um, maybe taking away my own opportunity mm-hmm. to have children mm-hmm. and, um, I just couldn't do it. So I remember Brian, my husband, um, also God made him for me. He was like legit soulmate, bless his heart because he has like, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about how we both had very different views of our marriage. <laughs> I was, I'm a very glass half full rose colored glasses kind of person anyway. 
Um, but he um, said to me, he goes, why are you crying so much? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, look, this is just the race. This isn't the finish line. And like, <sighs> he said this thing and I'm thinking, oh man, I just needed to hear that right now in this moment. So we went to the doctor and I prayed. I was like, God, you're going to have to take this decision away from me. I can't do it. So the doctor said, um, you have your ovaries glued to the side, the wall of your abdomen and your fallopian tube is tucked up underneath your ureter. So I was like this, no way. Whoa. Yeah. God did it. Like he totally made the choice for me. And, um, so then 30 days later, because the pain had gotten so bad, I needed to have a radical hysterectomy. Um, It is like full, full blown. what makes it right? And what I makes remember, it radical. <laughs> funny part. Right? I remember very soon after I had the hysterectomy, I was bagging up all of my like mm-hmm. feminine hygiene products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was putting them in a happy birthday bag for my sister-in-law. Cause I'm like, this is yours now. I don't Easy, yeah, yeah. I just remember like how much of my brain felt freed up. About 25% of my brain felt freed up because you don't realize how much you think of, am I pregnant? Am I gonna get pregnant? Why can't I get pregnant? Is my period coming? Oh no, is this going to be hurt? Am I am I I'm going to be able to work my full, you know, days while I have my period this week? You and the, like I didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Amazing that I didn't think wow. about that part of my life anymore. So that was a little bit of healing mm-hmm. within itself. Like just um, kind of an Im- immediate moment, right? It of, was. Of, and I also physical. could stand up straight. Like I didn't even realize that I had started like hunching over to kind of, um, cause the pain was so bad. But then, um, shortly after that, we, um, had two opportunities to adopt and both of those fell through. Um, the wow. dads didn't realize that they weren't going to have visitation rights and, so that was one situation. The other one, the um, mom wanted us to take all three of her kids instead of just the baby. And it was more than what we could do. So we, you go through this period of time where you really get your heart ready for having a new baby in your home and knowing that you're going to change the course of this child's life. And um, those fell through. So there is more brokenheartedness on top of that. And then it's kind of finally in 2016, my husband, Brian got a horrible bacterial infection and almost died. Um, he was in the hospital for 10 days, ICU for three days. His organs were starting to shut down and we were, we had moved to Charleston. So we were down there kind of by ourselves. His mom and dad were there, but my, I have a massive family, um, where we grew up with about 50 family members on one street here in, in South Carolina. And, um, so again, like I said, I just, all I knew was just to move forward with all those things and you just one foot in front of the other. But the problem was that about um, six months after he got well, I hit a debilitating depression. It was, you just are, I just didn't have the life skills needed to process through all of the loss and all the grief and all the trauma. And, um, from that, I immediately got myself into therapy. I got myself onto some medication um, that a doctor was helping me with. And then I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. So ah. I had this situational depression. And then because the medication didn't work well with my body, it put me in a manic state. And so they were like, oh, hey, now guess what? You have 
bipolar disorder and I got lost for about two years on the wheel of medicine. And actually just this year was when the misdiagnosis came up and um, I had put on my vision board that I wanted to be a hundred percent med free and through a few things that just kind of miraculously happened with different doctors coming into the picture and things. I've been med free since June. Oh, congrats. So thank you. It has been a journey, but, um, like I said, just these, I had a bunch of defining moments, like throughout all of those, you're like, girl, pick yourself up, like going. Right. So let's go back. Um, you know, like this is a huge, there's so many stops along your journey that are like, okay, let's go back into this. Like one, how, uh, like, what's the time frame? What's the time frame between you having the, oh, and what is a radical hysterectomy? What radical makes it radical? All the things. Oh, okay. All I was it. like, it's all, like, it's all right, gone. That no means ovaries are left. Like, right. Yeah. Complete, like a, com- complete. a hole or whatever. Complete. I love, and it was, I love that um, they call it, was, it radical. I was also, the endometriosis was so bad that I was on bed rest. And so that's why we had to do it like super fast because I was losing, um, being able to function in life because of wow. the pain and everything. Now, for those um, listening who might not know about endometriosis, can you explain it a little more? Like what, how, like how long do you think you suffered from that without knowing you had it? So I actually had um, endometriosis, was diagnosed with it when I was 18. Okay. And what it does is it basically deposits scar tissue that kind of looks like saran wrap sometimes in your guts. And so what happens is that when you cramp, in your uterus during your menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. um, you also cramp wherever that scar tissue is deposited deposited in your abdomen. So some women, my cousin actually had it on her spinal cord. Like it can be deposited in so many different areas. So um, it can attach to organs and distort the inside. So I actually had to go, when I had my surgery, I had to go to the cancer center and have my surgery done because it was uneven planes than what they were looking. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a <laughs> pun cut and dry surgery. It was a difficult surgery. And so we had, there was a specialist. We had a bunch of people in there. Oh, there like, no. Getting me and, healthy again. And that was pretty quick. The, mm-hmm. the time that it was, Obvious, like if you were bedridden from endometriosis, I hadn't even heard that it could. Get, yeah, and then we. T- um, I would, I would even pass out. I had passed out at work just before all this really started getting bad um, from the pain. I would say the pain. Um, and I'm a pretty good, like I can handle that kind of stuff. Um, but we, even when I had the ectopic pregnancy, I had actually my tube had ruptured and I was bleeding out for seven days, and I didn't know it. And so finally was like, oh, I got to go to the doctor. Like we got to figure this out. And I'm a very calm, like if there's an emergency, I get super calm. So I called my husband and was like, look, Brian, I'm going to the doctor, I'm driving myself. If anything happens and I don't make it, this is the route that I'm taking. Like my brain just gets super calm and then I'll have like a meltdown later. Um, But it was, so I think all of our, journey, um, kind of started, got married in 2008 and then kind of realized about a year and a half after not being able to try for, be able to have a baby, um, that something might would be kind of weird. So Mm -hmm. we got pregnant. I can't, I can't hold a baby past 
um, a like about a nine to 12 week period of time. Um, so it happened, it, like I said, seven months, one of them from the time that we had, and all of them were very different. So mm-hmm. one, um, when I had the miscarriage, my body took care of it on its own. The second one, um, it, they couldn't find the heartbeat. So we had to do like a DNC. The third one was no one really told us to keep our hands to ourselves for a little bit. So within two <laughs> weeks, I had got like, pregnant again. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, let's go. And so we got pregnant again. And, um, that third time is when my tube ruptured. And so we go to the doctor and basically after all the tests and she said, I said, so what do we do? Like we go home and then we'll come back later or whatever. She goes, you don't understand. You've been bleeding out for seven days. If you go home, you're going to die tonight. And he is not going to be able to get you back home or back up here in time to save your life. So I'm going to go deliver a baby and we're staying, you're staying here and then I'm going to. Yeah. And then we're going to get you taken care of. So and then I remember having... coming home and I'm a very driven person just by nature. And I remember coming home and I had gotten up and I went to go talk to my husband in the living room. I was like, okay, so like, what are we doing next? And he goes, we're done. I was like, what do you mean we're done? He goes, here's the deal. He said, your, your body clearly can't handle this. And he goes, the intent to have a baby is for us to do it together. Not me without you. And he said, so we're done. And then that's when we started looking at adoption and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so when you were at the hospital and she said, you've been bleeding out for seven days, did you think you were having a period? You didn't realize yes. that it was like, yeah. Um, I actually, my husband actually knew something was not right. He's very, mm-hmm. he's a very intuitive person. And he, he said, you know, you can usually like handle pain really well. And you're not really handling this at all. Like you're, I was doing like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and just, I'm thinking, man, I thought it was just having my first cycle since after we had had our miscarriage. Right. So I was kind of expecting it to be different, but, um, not that's not how that goes. (laughs) Right. Not that different. Uh Wow. Uh, that's so, so what, um, again, so we, okay, you got married in 2008. Mm-hmm. And then let's say by the time, um, when, when did you get to the point that you talked about where um, it was after all of this and the adoptions and your husband being sick, which we want to get back and talk about that. Mm-hmm. But like, what is this time span? I just want to know. About like, four years. Okay. Between all of this. Yeah. Of, of so the time about, where you. About 2011 was the miscarriage of the uh, hysterectomy. That's when all um, that started. And then a few years later, 2016 is him uh, getting super sick. So we had a good like four years of trying and then five years in between some more trauma. Um, so we had, it was, you know, like it was a, it was a run for sure. Right. Right. (laughs) Nice solid run. And a nice solid run of pushing things underneath the rug Mm -hmm. and not, and not realizing that me moving forward was not dealing with it. Right. Um, I huge did, aha moment. I didn't yes. realize. I thought maybe, hey, I'm going to be resilient and mm-hmm. I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to continue to move forward. That's not actually dealing with it. And I right. it, I didn't realize that. Uh, I've heard the euphemism uh, like three times this week. It's come up um, like twice on a podcast and somewhere else. Walk it off. Yes. Uh-huh. It's That's like, how 
that we've whole been trained you make it yes. like that whole yeah like walk it off walk yes, it off definitely like shake it off like shake it on, off let's go let's go well, like, you got life to live you have responsibilities <laughs> and so you just go go soldier and, on um, I was a very broken person like mm-hmm. so broken and I didn't and you know were, it right so you know it now yeah how did you get to that like when you said you there was there was you kind of got through all the trauma and then about six months later you said you fell into the depression. Like, I yeah. think that's, that's the, that's a moment where things that's started to shift. Right. Yeah. Tell me about that pivot. So I knew that I was getting very, um, very sad. And there was a day at work when I couldn't stop crying. And I was so embarrassed because I'm usually a pretty, like I've been in leadership roles at work at my, like my job since I was in my early twenties. Um, so I really was really proud about being able to separate and have a good work-life balance and not bring that drama to work. And I just could not stop crying. And I was just like, it was just, it was just incredible grief. Well, I didn't know that's what it was, but it was incredible sadness. And it scared me so much that I actually drove myself straight from work to the doctor, just straight there. I called, um, I called my best friend and what I love about her is that she, she never, ever and through all of the things that we've been through, cause we've been best friends for a good, almost nine years now. She never tried to identify like, Oh, I totally know how you feel. Mm-hmm. She just says, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I'm like, you just needed that. Like I just needed that. I didn't need anyone to kind of identify with me, but she was, she was there. And the, the hard part for my husband was that he could see this happening. He could see, um, I would, what I didn't know at the time, grief rage at him. Like uh-huh. he never knew. Um, and we're going to talk about this in just a little bit, but, um, he never knew who he was coming home to. So either the situations that were happening in my life would either put me in a good mood I was trying to look outward for my happiness. Um, I remember that I would drink a lot of wine. And before we would, I would bring the dinner out and everything and we would eat. I would always top the wine off just a little bit more. And um, yep. And I was, I was kind of self-medicating and it was causing, um, him to shut down and go into a shell, but he would still show up for our marriage like every day. And so when I told him that I'm like, I just drove myself to the doctor. I'm going to go in. I'm going to see what's going on. He's like, good. You've been needing to do this, but I didn't know how to say it because I didn't know if you would like buy my head off. Cause I mean, I was that girl. Yeah. I was like so unpredictable. And, um, so I, I immediately knew that I was going to have to go into, um, I mean, it was just even all of these tiny little steps we have, um, we have drug addiction that runs in our family. So I was terrified to go on any type of medication because I didn't trust, I don't, I didn't trust it. Um, I've seen the damage that, um, some certain medications have done to some family members that I have. And I actually went to a friend who's a psychiatrist and I said, Hey, can I come by your house? Like, I just need you to talk, talk me through taking antidepressant medicine. And so she was able to educate me on it's not addictive, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it was like all these tiny little barriers 
that I had that I needed to work through. And in, in a sense, having that, um, that tenacity to like put one foot in front of the other, it really kept me moving forward. Um, but I think therapy has been the one pivotal thing that um, has changed my life, 100% changed my life. Yeah. So how, how I'm assuming as soon as you drove to the doctor, there was talk of medication and therapy started pretty quickly. It was, it was that week. That and week. the way that I yeah. found my therapist, I'm not going to offer this as, in, as like how everyone should do it, <laughs> but I really liked her website. Oh, she was, oh. I really oh. liked how she looked. That's how I, I found mine. I feel like I can talk to her. Like, I feel like I can talk to her. Oh, so. I would, I've, I've now on my third, third therapist, the first one after six months moved and closed up her practice and left. The second one I moved mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have to do in person. I have um, one of my issues is being seen, you know, or being unseen. So I yep. can't do talk or I have to do talk in person therapy. And um, I found mine off her website. <laughs> you know, I have to see. Yeah, I, I was I like, wouldn't oh, go. she's so cute. Yeah, but I couldn't. Literally like she I'm, I'm also a life coach. And so I, I know the value of digging deep, um, into like digging deep into those questions. So I can, my healing journey happened quickly because I was willing to do the work. Now I was scared, um, of what it was going to do because I had worked, I become very numb to the trauma. Um, I was really desperate for change. I wanted to new to know new ways on how to process, and um, but I was really scared about like scared. That was so I was so country. I was really scared. <laughs> My accident just kind of took, had a life of its own. Yeah, day. but I was really scared about what was going to be revealed because um, like I didn't know how I was going to react to bringing all of this stuff up in like a forty-five minute session once a week. It's kind of like where we got started. And because I had worked so hard on pushing all the stuff down, because I just thought that's how I did it. Like, that's how you dealt with life. And, Mm -hmm. but at this point, I really did not have a choice. It was either stay stuck in sorrow, um, make my my husband miserable as well in the end, or dig in and figure out how to bust out of it. Right. What job did you have at the time where you had that day where you just so I was a, I have been working with the credit union movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been in the financial industry since 2007 and I was a branch manager at the time, um, at one, at our corporate branch. So the one where all the people come in, all, all the people. And so it was tough to be depressed, unmedicated, untreated and have to glue that smile on your face all day. Yes. And it got to the point where by the time I got home, I was numb. Like I just, I had just taken all of the energy that I had all day long to pretend like I was happy, um, to get through the day and everything. And it just broke me. It just wore me down. Yeah. Where did you learn that coping mechanism? So I come from a divorce family. I come from a family of people who are really good at pushing things under the rug. And so it's, it is a childhood learned trait. And I have recently really wanted to kind of make it my personal business to break this generational cycle 
um, and take the healing that I've had. And um, we're kind of obsessed with our nieces and nephews. And really, um, I really love the time I get to spend with them. And like when they're dealing with stuff that I know is painful, um, like drug addiction that runs in the family and how that affects young, young girls and boys, like um, to talk with them through that and help them um, not help them not feel victimized and help them feel powerful in their own space. And like, how do you, how are you a leader in your age right now from where your feet are on the ground right now? Like, what does that even look like? And so I'm so incredibly grateful for all of the pain that I went through because it is, it is able to help shift, um, the kind of trajectory of our family, of our future. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. What a gift to give to these mm -hmm. children, to, you know, to to be able to take, you know, the experiences that you've had and what you've learned and how you've grown and be able to, you know, like, what's, I'm trying to think of a fancy word for age appropriate, <laughs> you know, but to be able to, you know, translate that into yeah. what they can hear and what they can use. And that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Have you ever heard of strengths finders? It's like, um, you can take this test and there's like 34 strengths. And I it will rank each one based on like basically who you are, like your, yeah. your natural talents. I did so, via strengths this week, via hmm? strengths website, via strengths. I don't know. That's it's what I did. Strengths finders 2.0. It was a book okay. that I found a long time oh, okay. ago. Okay. And the company that I'm with right now, like this is, this is kind of like the thing that we use when we coach um, our employees to greatness and, you know, change the culture of the company and everything. And so my top, Five strengths are communication, woo, like that cheerleader, like even in the bad times, I was able to kind of find that good stuff. Positivity is the third one, um, futuristic and strategic. And so the communication piece, I'm constantly thinking of how am I saying it? What is, how is the person across from me taking it? Um, is this going to be impactful and all that kind of stuff? And so I really believe that through our talents is that we're given, um, that I'm so grateful that no matter what the age group is from my nephew, who is seven to my niece, who's getting ready to graduate high school, I have a really unique connection with all of them. And, um, I can somehow, um, connect with them. And like, I have, I have no problem talking about tough stuff. I have no yeah. problem sharing the stuff that sucks that, yeah. um, because it's really, that actually is like where your resilience comes from. Yeah. Um, and so I try to teach my nieces and nephews that like, yeah, you're going through something that sucks right now. And it really, it hurts and it's hard, but I want you to tell me one thing that you've learned about yourself through it to bring that awareness to, um, to them not being a victim. Yeah. So right. It's really, right. it's really awesome. And, it's the funniest thing. Like when you don't, when you're unable to have kids, the weirdest things pop in your head. So I remember visiting my grandmother when she was in a nursing home, I would go see her like all the time. And she was a sassy lady. And I was just like, Oh, I'm totally going to be like that when I get legit old and wrinkly and stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, like, we don't have kids. Who's going to take care of us when we get old? It's like you, it was like uh, actual worry. And I'm just right. like, man, I'm going to have to brainwash my nieces and nephews into like freaking loving my guts so that they will come and take care of me whenever I get old. But we have, we have 
like I said, grew up with like 50 family members on one street. Mm-hmm. My family, at least 15 to 20 of us get together every Sunday night for dinner somewhere. Wow. Or we vacation and we stay in one house. And we actually love each other. Like we actually love each other's company. It's like we can't get enough of each other. But it's it was really like a kind of a dysfunctional family growing up. Like we had a lot of hot mess stuff happening, but we found we when you are pushing stuff up underneath a rug, family trauma, you know, things like that, what you're filling it in with is sometimes a lot of laughter, um, maybe a lot of silliness, like let's be silly and like put yeah. this direction in the focus here. So then we don't have to deal with the pain yeah. over here. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, we grew up with a, we had a great childhood uh, my three cousins are like our siblings. So their, their daughters and kids call us aunt and uncle, even though they're, we're cousins. So I call them my niece. It's a cousin and a niece together. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Niece. I love it. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Let's see what, um, like we kind of, we're, this is nonlinear, you know? That's fine. No, I love it. Cause it's, yeah. it feels very much like just conversation. a nice conversation about yes. life really. Yes. Yes. Cause I feel like, you know, um, I think I called it like kind of kind of an interview, kind of a narrative storytelling, mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a hard and <clears throat> and from these three points, did you, you know, I, I think it's yeah. way more conversational. <clears throat> and so what okay, we did um we talked about um medication and therapy. What else did you implement in your life to be able to be at this like glorious place now? You know, so from from I um I don't know if you've ever heard of emotional intelligence. Um, but I, there was a, a class that at the time I was going through this at the credit union I was working at, they offered a class on emotional intelligence. I was like, Ooh, what is this? Like, I want to learn a little bit about this. And when I explain to people what emotional intelligence is, I basically say, so, you know, when you're in, talking with someone and they tick you off, like they push your buttons and you really want to throat punch them but you don't because that's not the right thing to do in that situation. That is emotional intelligence, like (laughs) knowing how to lock it up. Right. So in my work life, um, I was really, really good at emotional intelligence. In my home life, I was horrible at it. Absolutely the worst. (laughs) <laughs> um, there was a question that you asked me that was kind of like, like, what was your life like before yeah, all of this? Yeah, yeah. And like what, and the, what you asked such a good question. It was what emotions ruled the day back okay. then. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 it was so bad. My poor <laughs> husband, um, my poor husband, it was, so it, my husband and I, and I didn't realize this until going through therapy and all the kind of things that we had two very different views of our marriage. Like I thought we had the most perfect marriage under the sun. I didn't realize it until I had been in therapy that, um, that, and I had was kind of had that diagnosis of bipolar disorder that he was really living out those vows, like sickness and health, better for worse. Like he was legit committed to those (laughs) vows. And I got, so I got super brave one day And I asked him, I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm totally ready for like whatever your answer is. And I said, have you ever considered leaving? And he goes, oh "Oh, yeah, a couple of times. (gasps) I know. Amy, that's huge. How did you, 
<laughs> so <laughs> he didn't even flinch. He didn't even flinch. It was like, oh yeah, wow. times. And I was totally not ready for it. And here's why. I so I ugly face cried for like three days. And the reason why I was so upset is because I would not have realized, I would not have had the emotional self-awareness to know that he would have left because of me, because I was unpredictable, because my emotions were all over the place, because he, he really, his love language is service to others. And so he poured himself into volunteering at our church, volunteering for charities and stuff. Um, so he really, he did like his coping mechanism was to give back to others, but really it was like, I, he said, I really was just hoping you were asleep by the time I came home. Now, uh, I'm very heart- heartbreaking. Huh? It was. Um, uh. And I'm so incredibly lucky that I have a spouse who can unapologetically tell the truth um, because it yes. really was yes. the best for um, our relationship, but I would have, and people like, when I say this, they're just like, Oh, don't beat yourself up. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I was so unaware of my emotions. The grief would come out like rage. The, um, the sadness would come out like me just shutting down and not wanting to talk or anything. So he was having to figure out how to maneuver through our marriage with someone who was not giving it their all. It was, I was going through um, kind of a, I don't want this to be understood the wrong way, but kind of a, a ne- like a selfish period um, because I needed to heal, but I didn't know that's what my soul needed. Um, and so, yeah, so I ugly face cried for like three days and he's like, but I'm still here. He kept saying, but I'm still here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere, but we're fine. And I'm like, I right. know, but I right. wouldn't have realized I, uh... that it would have been my fault. Like, and And it was humbling. It was so humbling to understand that he, like through that emotional intelligence, like through that self-awareness, which is the, it is like when I teach about self-awareness, I mean, emotional intelligence, self-awareness is the ground. It's like where you start. So it's being aware of your emotions and how they affect other people. And I was so unaware. I don't even know. So I'm great at work, like locking right. it up there, but I come home and I'm like a hot mess. Yeah. Give me so wine. Was, like, let's, yeah, let's right. do this. Uh, um, I just um, posted something on, on Facebook about um, just the, the instances of alcohol related um, deaths and accidents just on the rise, you know, because there was, there was this period of booming of, I, I call it like mommy needs wine. Yeah. You know, like all of that kind of culture. And and it also there's a really great article I read years ago, I forget, but it was just not just moms, but um working women, you know, after work having this and the wine and, and dinner and all of that and how we've normalized it in that period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say between twenty ten and now, you know, it or maybe it started in two thousand. Like there was such a such a huge normalization of working women drinking. Yeah. You know? And, and you then, know, it's funny because we have, um, we have alcoholism and drug addiction uh-huh. that kind of runs in our family. Um, yeah. a lot of it is situational, like yeah. situationally induced. And well, so we, we think, drink when we're celebrating, we drink when yeah, we're sad, yeah. we drink at every, you know, we now, drink when we're eating. We grew up in a dry home. So oh, we never, ever, ever, I remember the first time I ever bought beer 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in LA. I remember putting it in my cart and like hiding, like putting groceries <laughs> on top of it. I love like, it. I don't want anyone, even know anyone out in California. In La- and by the way, in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't want anyone to know that I was yeah. going to go home and like have a beer, like, beer. by myself. Um, but it, and it's funny because there's not, there is not the, this, um, either you socially drink or you're a raging alcoholic. There's a middle, there's yeah. a middle part. Yeah. yeah. I was in the middle. I was like, you know, definitely, um, once a day would come like at night after work. Mm-hmm. First thing I did changed, got ready to cook. Mm-hmm. And my relief was cooking. Yep. Nothing better than having a knife in your hand and a bell pepper and like being able to cut the heck out of it and not go to jail. Yes. Yeah. And so, but there was always that glass of wine. So I would have a glass of wine and then have another one and um, then top that off, getting ready to go out for dinner and everything. And then the so bottle is open. Yeah. So. I mean, it would probably take me a day, a couple days to go through a bottle of wine. Um, so it wasn't like I'm do like I'm buying cases of wine or whatever. It wasn't like that, but it was, there's definitely a middle between mm-hmm. it. It was a, an actual coping mechanism for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember I was sitting, standing in the kitchen. And I was like, wow, I've had wine every day this week. And I was like, yeah. Ooh, Ooh. Ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah. And I was realizing that I was really liking the yeah. um, feel of all of the stress from the day, all of the having a fake being calm and nice and happy all day. This was an, it was an absolute coping mechanism um, back in the day. Now um, I do feel like all of the trauma that I've worked so hard to heal. We have a bottle of wine down in the kitchen right now. That's been there for two weeks. <laughs> like, same, like, same. <laughs> yeah. It's same. like, I can have that social drink or whatever, but I found I don't enjoy it. I can't drink a full, I can't even drink a full glass anymore. Um, It's not the, it's just not the same. Um, So it's really surprising. Like that was one of those turning moments that was very surprising for me. I was like, wow, what in the heck? Yeah. Yeah. I, we have a bottle of Prosecco that we opened on New Year's Eve in our fridge open. So it's (laughs) totally flat, but it's still in there. We didn't finish it. And this is, 180 of who we used to mm-hmm. be 180 in fact you know the story that i shared in the episode um about me was about drinking yeah you know, about um about how like the the shittiest moment i had um you know was as a result of being blackout drunk yeah you know at the age of 35 like mm-hmm. what was i doing you know so anyway all right so what other notes um did you um there was a couple things you said we'll get to that and I, i'd want to make sure that oh, we get to yeah so yeah, yes you had asked about the different uh-huh. habits and goals and hobbies yes. and things that yes. like, um, what, I yeah. started kind of doing. Um, so there's really, when I was thinking through this, there's about three main areas where I had this really mindful shift um, that kind of la- had the most lasting change for me. Um, so one of them was therapy. Well, we've talked about this. Um, I'm still in therapy, have a therapy session this coming Friday. I'm still with the same therapist. We actually FaceTime um, our therapy sessions now. So, um, and she, it's really cool because sometimes I need to talk to her every other week. Sometimes I can go a month or two between sessions. 
Um, but it has, she has been such a great guide in me learning about myself. And what I tell people when they're like, I don't want to go to therapy. Yeah, you don't want to go to therapy because you think um, that so you're going to be shamed. You think that this person is here to tell you all the things that you're doing wrong. And you're your pride is kind of in the way, like, let's just call it what it is. Your ego's in the way, your pride's in the way. And what I tell people is that it is really like, if you're curious about yourself, if you know that you have some opportunities and you're curious about what those look like, a therapist is just a guide. They just help ask questions sometimes um, to help get you kind of going on that, on that journey. And there are, there are things that definitely were revealed that I revealed that I didn't know I needed to heal them. I didn't know there were issues. I didn't know that it was actually like shame. Um, I grew up in a religion that was very um, by the book. Another pun. I'm like all over the puns. <laughs> I love, yeah. um, it's like a, they were very by the book and um, like no drinking, no dancing, like, you know, kind of footloose world yep, kind of yep. thing. <laughs> and um, it was. I didn't realize that I had really internalized a lot of the things that I did as I kind of started stepping out on my own and doing my own thing and have my own life as shame. And even I had a lot of shame from our miscarriages and from the failed adoptions and then from how I was acting a hot mess in my own marriage. And I had to work through that shame. Um, and so that I think therapy was. Um, she like, there's even certain words that I didn't even want to say. And she was like, say the word. And I was like, I don't want to say the word. And she's like, say the word. And it was incredible. Like it was very freeing. Wow. It was very like kind of lightening up on myself just a little bit. Cause I think, yes. I think a lot of people who happen to be naturally driven people can also tend to be very hard on them, hard on themselves. Um, and I definitely identified used to, um, with, um, perfection needing to be perfect. Um, it was, um, so yeah, so therapy for sure. And then, um, I saw how much my life was changing and how my marriage was getting better through this. And I started to kind of dream about my future again. I, I had stopped dreaming in that t- period of time. Uh, when you've got grief and shame and doubt and insecurity, you don't have and you're, you got all that stuff in there. You don't really have a lot of room for optimism, which is also an emotional intelligence trait and dreaming and all of that. So um, I figured that if I could te- help somebody get the help they needed and grow, um, that would be great. So, um, you know, they say sometimes you heal the most when you help other people. Mm-hmm. So I became a life coach. And I got certified, actually was going through the certification the same year in 2016 when Brian got really sick. And so it was a way from, it started out being a way for me to pour myself into something and not deal with my own junk. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was diverting. It was like a diversion. Um, But uh, now I'm so grateful that I have that certification. So um, what I do is I teach emotional intelligence. And I teach people how to set boundaries from a place of compassion instead of anger, which is typically what we do. And I 
teach them how to say no. They actually create no statements. Um, and because I want them to be able to have the free space to say yes to the things that they want to do, which is one of the big changes that I made in my life is I started saying no to things that was leading me to live a mediocre life. And now I only say it's, it's either if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Yes, it's a no. <laughs> yeah. So, I, was, I knew that was um, going through my mind. And even, mantra of our- even the clothes that I wear, the, the things that I have around my house is hell yes. My whole house is like a living 3D vision board. Um, I have things around me that have intention. Um, and I, I teach that. And then um, I, when I was in high school, I went to art school. So I'm an artist. And I stopped creating for all of those years. I stopped doing the painting and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so I started making things with my hands again. I'm a crochet freak of nature. I learned how to crochet from YouTube. Like you want to learn how to do something? Watch YouTube. Like it's all there. Um, I currently am really into like wood burning. Um, Actually, there's a painting that I've been having rolling around in my brain and today I'm going to do it. So I got the canvas and the paint and stuff in the car and I'm going to make this thing come to life. So I don't hold myself back anymore from the things that kind of um, light me up and fill me up. Right. Everything. Passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's funny how like, yeah, in, in, in those times of darkness, all that stuff disappears it and does. we don't realize it until we start bringing it back in. We're like, oh, why did I stop doing You're this? just like, man, well, I... Yeah. When I'm doing my wood burning, I can sit there for two hours and it only feels like I've been working for like 15 minutes. So um, one of the things that I have um, a workbook that I made and I just put it out um, for free um, January 1st and it's a limiting beliefs workbook. And so there's this thing called a list of limits. And so you go through and you check off all the things that you identify with. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. She's like it's already been done before, like all that kind of stuff. And then the second section of the workbook is um, uncovering your passion, um, the things that light you up. Like how do, what can you do? Like we get lost um, in, in this whole time. My purpose, I felt like was almost revealed to me, which is doing things like this. And when you are living out your purpose, the real reason why you're here, um, your life gets so calm and so filled. And it is probably one of the most hardest things to chase um, my purpose um, that I've ever done because you're learning these new skills that you've never had before. And then, um, but also like, how to articulate my story to where I can help someone else's um, like journey shorten a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love that so much. And I, I'm also on that same kind of headspace about everything yeah. right now where this whole project and talking to you right now is based off of, you know, a shitty thing that happened to me that I finally learned to process correctly. And now we're turning it around and saying like, Hey, if this is you, you know, you, you can do the, these things to, you can do hard back. things. You can we are made do hard for things. hard things. Yes. Um, yeah. We shy away and, from them so much. Mm-hmm. I think because we just don't talk about them. Right. And you know, like, are you a student of Brene Brown? I, okay. So <laughs> I love 
Brene's stuff, right? She speaks about vulnerability. She talks about how we're more alike than we are different, like all of that kind of stuff. But her, her books scare me because they make me dive deep into myself um, with lots of self-reflection. And sometimes I'm not ready for like, I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for you, Brene. But it's <laughs> like, I have probably learned the most from her, um, from her message, actually learning how to set boundaries from a place of compassion is what I learned from her. Um, I came across this uh, YouTube, uh, like it was a podcast recording video of, um, and she was doing it and she was talking about how, um, do we believe that people are trying their best? And we're going to say no. Like if we're being real, we're just like, no, we have those people in our life that are kind of sucky and like they really could do better. Like they, like, you know, when I talk about having um, like drug addiction and that substance abuse in my family, I totally look up at those people and go like, you totally can do better. But what she did is they asked um, a group of clergy if uh, they believed that people gave their best. And they were like, you know, eh, no, they can do better. And then she said, but what if God came down and told you that the person that you're thinking of is actually literally giving you their best? It's, it's what they do. And she said that there was this collective slump that kind of happened in the room with all these clergy. And so she was asking him like, what, like, tell me about this. And so she said, they said, well, if my sister who is living this life right now and affecting negatively the life of my nephews um if she's doing her best and god's telling me she's doing her best then i have to mourn the loss of the person that i think she can be and it was it was like this huge eye opener for me when i heard that when you have a close family, you're in each other's spaces all the time. Do you truly believe that the people around you are giving it their best? And that is where I kind of feel like even with um, like the family members that I have that have substance abuse issues, for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to meet them where they are. I'm going to let go of the idea that they need to be here because they're performing here, like, and I need to, I'm going to commit to just loving them, truly loving them, not expecting anything from them, taking them off of that pedestal that I have built up. They are never going to meet, they're never going to be able to get there. And it's not fair. And so what happens is that we don't realize that we create our own unhappiness by holding people to standards that they will never they don't even realize that they're being held to a certain standard. So when that is actually a boundary, that's actually so part of <laughs> the um, like part of this study was that they found that people who are more compassionate have stricter boundaries. And so they're like, whoa, 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 like how how does this even work? And yeah. so they said, well, because we have boundaries, then um, I am able to set like be super compassionate. And so what it does is it lets you really look at people and really hold space for people in your life or that you meet and truly looking at them how God looks at them. Right. 
without any expectations. Yeah, no expectations. I just want to have a relationship with you. I just want to love you. And um, it's not always about being supportive. So it's not saying I support you. Um, it's saying I love you where, where, where you are. So we don't, we feel like we need to have support from other people. You don't, you can support yourself. You don't need permission from anyone else. You have an idea. And then what we do is we go and we try to get permission. Like, oh, I have, and I used to do it. I did it myself. I did it to my husband. I did it to my best friend. And I would ask him these questions like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And what do you think? Well, they don't have my dream. They don't have the way my brain works. And Uh so they're going to talk about how it's not going to work from their own limitations. And so I was Uh kind of starting to have some resentment these people that have freaking stood with me in the trenches. And I'm like, oh, you know what? So I was like, I needed to just, I don't talk about the things I'm doing anymore. I just do them and then I share them. And it has brought a tremendous amount of freedom, a lot more brain space for me to think about things. But for me to be able to show up um, for them, because I don't need anything from them. Like I don't need their approval they're val- I don't need, I, I really was looking for validation for a long period of time in my life. And so I kind of realized I didn't need it anymore. And um, the people that God blesses me with to come through my life, I'm very honored for that. But I'm so grateful that um, I've got these. I'm the one, I have boundaries with everyone. My nephews, yeah. tiny little nephews, there's a boundary. Yeah. And yeah. I have them with my husband and the people at work. And the beauty about this is that I can push that boundary out from me. If I feel like a friend or family member is kind of being a little drama and Mm -hmm. I I don't have space for that and I can just push them over there, but I still love them. Like that's Mm -hmm. their drama. I'm not, I'm not taking ownership in that anymore, or I can bring people closer to me. So you have this, um, beauty of having this, um, this space to kind of ebb and flow with it. Ebb and flow. Right. This reminded me of, of looking for approval or acceptance or whatever, reminded me of so my children until we moved, we're all in a Montessori program. Um, and it was in our public schools. Um, very unusual. It was in that small town. Um, and I learned this thing from the Montessori teacher that my children had when and they were um, three, four and five years old. So let's say a child comes to class and they've got these new pair of shoes on and they would say, don't you like them? Don't you like them? Did you like them to the teacher? And she said, do you like them? It's just that tiny little, and they'd say, well, yeah. And she's like, well, that's so great. Or, you know, she would, she would immediately put it on them of like, you're proud of it and say that and own it. Like you don't need my approval. You don't need my like congratulations on your new shoes, mm-hmm. but I will, I will be there to celebrate your excitement about it. And I was, that was such a huge little shift, you know, mm-hmm. and so my oldest child is 12 now. So this has been like a decade of, of this kind of, you know, as a parent trying to embrace that and continue it in, you know, their environment outside of school. Yes. It's, it's such a great little exercise, by the way, if anybody's, list, you know, needs mm-hmm. <laughs> a way is. to start, um, way to start that young. It is. It's like, um, just to be able to like, well, how, what do you, how did it go? Like, what do you, what do you think? Like you get them talking about the good things about themselves because the reason why they're wanting validation is because they're not feeling great about their performance or how they did or whatever. And, um, you've got, we have got to start realizing that we have so much power within us to be amazing. 
And um, even like I call um, emotional intelligence like a superpower because you have this ability to get really present and really deep with people. And if they say something that's a little off the cuff for you, because let's just be real, when we're triggered, that's all, that's our problem. Yeah. That's nobody else's problem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Someone, because what happens is that someone will say something to us and then we'll have a mood shift and they're like, what did I do? Like, I don't even know what I did. It's all us. If you have, if you have this situation that you're in on a regular basis and someone is triggering you, you got to deal with that. You have un- them. yeah, you have unresolved totally st- stuff circling around yeah. in there, and it's but, that's how it's speaking to you. Yeah, and it's so easy to put it off externally. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. easy to, and that's one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that I could have, I could be a very bitter person. I have the right to be mad that I can't have kids. Yep, we went right. through crap. Like it was yeah. awful. It was traumatic. It was loss. It was um, to have the choice of not being able to have children taken away from me by nature. Like we have, I have this, I felt like for a while I had this right to be pissed and it doesn't serve us. Like you, yeah, you can, you can be mad about anything. You can, you can create, you can justify anything. I think that's the one thing that we do the best in our culture now is that we can justify the heck out of anything to suit our own needs, um, our own views and all that kind of stuff. But we are not here to be victims. We are here to serve humanity. We're here to make a difference. And um, I did an Instagram post today that's like, kind of like our mess is our message. And um, I was super excited about this meeting between you and I. And I was like, how are you like, I'm not interested in making an impact for people today. I'm not interested in how what I say makes an impact for someone next week. What I'm interested in is how what I say today makes an impact for someone five or 10 years from now. That That's what matters. And so I want us to get bigger picture that the things that you look at, I have this practice that my husband and I do and every Friday is unfollow Friday. Unfollow, delete, block, uh, all things, mute, whatever you need to do. I love it. You do not have the most positive things coming to in your face. So if you see something on social media that makes you feel less than, if you find yourself judging someone else because of how they look or something, get rid of it. You don't need it. Let your feed be like the law of attraction where you have all this amazing stuff in your face all the time. Like, why would you not want to live that life? And so we're not here for ourselves. We're here to serve humanity. And the problem is that we get so lost in our own trauma and our own problems. And we really, you now I'm going to say, I did put the work in and take the time to heal. Um, This year was the first time that I did not cry. Oh, sorry. 2000, 2019 was the first time since 2011 that I did not cry on Mother's Day. It was a huge, like, I remember looking at Brian, we went to eat and I was like, I haven't cried yet today. And he's like, I know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, on a positive note, I haven't cried today. (laughs) And it was like, it was kind of surprising. And then recently, um, I had this, um, 
I go to Starbucks like every day and I know all of them. I know all their names. They know, they know my voice. They know if I change up my order in the drive-thru, they're like, Amy, you're changing your stuff up today. Like <laughs> they know, they know when I haven't been there in a few days, they know if I'm coming off schedule, like all of that kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, so one of the guys that's like my regular, he said, do you have kids? I said, no, we can't have kids. And he goes, are you sure? Now before it throat punch coil, like attack pounce, like all, I would have had all those feelings, but this is the first time when I said, I said, no, we're, we're sure. I said, we, we can't have kids, but we are an amazing aunt and uncle. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel my chest get tight. I didn't have those emotional triggers that come up when this question was asked. And I was like, I need to journal about this right now. And that's one of right. another thing that I added is I started journaling. Um, Cause when you can get it on the outside of you and like have a, like kind of like a bird's eye view of like what's in your brain, it's so healing. And I was so proud. And what happened is because I've been doing this compassion work and learning to set boundaries, I felt I understand now that when someone says that, they're not saying, hey, let me ask you this super painful question. What they're saying is, I think you'd be a really rad mom. Like right. you're so positive. Right. I really think that you'd make an impact on a kid's life. Right. And um, I felt bad for him because I can handle the question now. I never imagined that I would be healed from it. And this is, this is as recent as like last month. Like this That's is a very amazing. recent kind of thing. Yes, I remember um, you posting that. And I remember being just so impressed because I remember the time of trying to have a baby. And I remember those feelings of rage. And I remember, mm -hmm. you know, that really visceral reaction and, you know, and hating it about myself, though, you know, yeah. not wanting to be that person. And, you know, time and, you know, I've, but I, I had a similar experience this week when um, in our, uh, in my class, I was telling somebody my story about like how I ended up at class, a coaching class. And, and I had to talk about this traumatic thing that happened and I didn't cry. It was the first time yeah. I talked about it. I didn't, I didn't cry. Like, and what's so funny is for a second, I was like, oh, I hope, I hope I can still um, uh, explain my, you know, the, the brevity of it, you know, it still mm -hmm. meant a lot, but I, I was just like, oh yeah, you know, this is what happened. And, you know, I like let go of the shame of it. Yeah. When you can, and that was it. when I have a question a lot that comes up in my coaching sessions, like, how am I going to know when I'm healed from this? I didn't know oh. that I would be able to, I didn't know that I would heal from it. I thought this was just pain that you would just hang on to for the rest of your life and you would find ways to maneuver around it. I didn't know that like healing could, like, I didn't, I don't think I really understood what healing meant. I think I thought that healing meant you're going to learn how to deal with the grief. You know, like when someone passes away, you never, you always have the, the loss of that person there, but you learn how to maneuver around it. I didn't know that actual healing was possible until here's the thing about emotional intelligence and how we grow and everything. You don't get to practice these things until you're in the moment. So you don't get to practice about emotional intelligence until you get triggered and you're learning how to lock it up. You're not learning how to heal from trauma like miscarriages and loss and all that kind of stuff until someone asks you and you respond in a proper way. And then you take time to reflect. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like I can actually talk. And so what I realized is that 
How do you know you're healed from something? The answer is this. When you can help someone else, you can take your pain and your loss and your trauma um, and you can repurpose it to help someone else shorten their journey. That's when you've healed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moment of silence to let that like spread, you know, like to feel that. Mm-hmm. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited you're doing this work. This is such a uh, emotional intelligence is something that it's like there's, you know how, like, I, I think I said this in in an episode I talked about with myself, like, there, you have to get a license to fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you have to <laughs> apply to hunt, you know, and license. And there's nothing about, like, existing in the world as a human and boundary work and, you know, how did, you know, just all this other stuff that actually affects, you know, our life in such major ways. You know, there's no, there's no parenting certification, No, you know, there's no, all, all of it. It's like, we're just at a certain point, you know, after, I don't know, elementary school, I almost feel like when, you know, there's not a, a, someone trying to teach you how to live in the world, you're just out there. And figuring it out. And a lot of times it's really messy. We have this, um, Steve Miller um, has worked for um, Franklin Covey forever. And he spoke at a recent event that I went to. And he said, your mess is your message. And I'm like, oh, that's so brilliantly put. And it's so simple um, that really like the things that, make you feel less than or vulnerable or, you know, just like that make you feel like we kind of live in this world where we just don't want to feel anything because we don't really know how to deal with it, but feel all the things like hashtag all the things because it is, it makes for a very rich life and it makes for this incredible um, journey of finding purpose. Um, I feel like a lot of us are chasing joy. Like we're chasing that purpose, right? We're like, what am I here for? What am I supposed to be here for? And it's really simple. We expect our purpose to be revealed to us from like angels, like, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like like a chorus. Like we expect it to come down from the heavens in this big beam of light. And actually where what our purpose is is it happens in the nooks and crannies of our day it happens with you being kind to someone it happens with you sharing a little bit of your story that's messy that sucks mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's not it does not feel good for me to say my husband almost left our marriage because i was a hot mess emotionally because i could not be emotionally available for him and that I was living very selfishly. It's not fun to say that because you, we, I don't want to be judged, right? Mm-hmm. It's human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what, what we have to understand is that you already know what your purpose is. You're just expecting it to be revealed in some way. And it's not going to be revealed in some way because here's the secret. You're already doing it. Things yeah. that come easy for you, the things that come natural, that is actually your purpose but we're expecting it to be packaged up some very different way. I've always been this person. I've always been the one that shared maybe too much. Like 
you know, been that kid where my mom was like, you should be seen and not heard and like you talking too much and everything. Well, I mean, I felt very shameful for that. I was like, why do I talk too much? Like, I can't help myself. And now it's such a gift. Um, it is it is my purpose. Like it, it contributes to the reason why I'm actually here on earth. And um, it is like, you, we've got to stop beating ourselves up for the things that certain people maybe have called us out on. Um, I really want to challenge people like, I want you to write down the things that you do when you get in the flow. Like when you get in that state where you're, you could do this all day long and do the thing all day long. And it could be web design. It could be helping, you know, special needs kids. It could be whatever, delivering meals on wheels. It could, it could be listening. Like maybe you're just a really good listener and you don't talk a lot. Like we need all of that in this world. We need it all. And it's, it's like your, our, our joy is so close to us. It's like right there. It's like right there in the corner. And all you gotta do is just walk over there and just sit in that space. And we are, we are beat ourselves up and, and I'm not going to say it's an early, it's an easy journey to, um, to go on. But when you can, um, really like open yourself up to the things that suck, and to the trauma that you've been through. And we all, there's even things that, there's even things that I don't share that I've been through um, that are still part of who I am and who made me who I am. And you can truly find joy in everything. There's, there are things that people go through that are just devastating. And if you can find that silver lining, like what is the lesson from this and how can I give back to somebody else? The healing almost is instant. Right. And I know, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about um, knowing that when people aren't ready for it, because mm-hmm. there there is a definite line, mm-hmm. um, I feel like. And I and I, I can't articulate it, but I can tell when I see it. Yeah, if that makes sense. You know, and some people aren't there yet. I wasn't ready. I mean, they and were yeah. like when I was going yeah. through all of the miscarriages and the surgeries, I've got a laugh because I had I had not just with the miscarriages, but I had four or five endometriosis surgeries. So I've got um, scars. I say I look like a Law and Order episode because I've got, <laughs> I think, like maybe 12 or 13 scars, scars. Um, that are like around my belly button and like yeah. all that kind of stuff. And um, we, it's, it's just part of my story. Um, yeah. But I wasn't ready for years. Yeah. I wasn't ready to talk about it. And it wasn't one of those things where I was like, the more you talk about it, the better you're going to feel. Sometimes that's not the case. Um, sometimes the more you talk about it to a professional, the better you're going to feel. feel. <laughs> um, it's really good. like, if you don't know, if you don't have the life skills on how to process trauma and grief, you got to go find somebody who does to guide you through that. Like, um, I think we were laughing earlier that like, I'm a star Wars freak of nature yeah. <laughs> and like men are like my husband and I, we lit, like our dog's name is Obi and like all the things. And, um, what happens, it's such a great story because like Yoda is not the star. Luke Skywalker is a star. He's the hero and Yoda is the guide. And so in our life, even when we have, um, if you happen to be in a leadership role, you're not the hero. The people who report to you, those are the heroes. You're the guy. 
Um, in your marriage, my husband to me is the hero. I'm the guy that helps him live a better life and all that kind of stuff. And so just repurposing all that pain and that we bo- we've bonded and grown so much and we still go through things like, but what's changed is he has a much more calmer wife, um, a wife like, <laughs> like when we, when he wants to like bicker or whatever, I literally say now, babe, I love you way too much to do this right now. I'm going to go crochet and then we'll just come back later. So and right. I walk away. Yeah. Yeah. and then he yeah. wants to like say those things, like as I'm walking out of the room and I used to be the one that would like whip around the corner and go, Hey, was there something else you needed to say there? And you were saying it behind my back. I don't even do that anymore. If I feel, if I feel, and this is, this is just a boundary that I have. If I feel that a conversation with anyone, someone at work, family, him, whatever, is getting to the point where it's making me feel uncomfortable. It's making that chest get tight. I don't like the uncomfortability of it. I shut it down. Like my dad laughs. He's like, you're like, okay, dad, I got to go. Like when I get off the phone with him, like if he starts ranting about something and that's just not what I need in my life at that moment, I'm like, hey, I got to go. Um, I'll touch base with you later. Hey, later. Yeah. I'm bouncing. So yeah, I've been I, able to identify I, we own our own happiness. Yep. We are in charge yep. of our own happiness. And um, yeah, so nobody else can do it but myself. And that's where boundaries come in. Yep. Yep. I've been able to, um, in the last few years, know when I have, like, I can feel it in my body. I get sweaty. I get hot. Getting I get triggered. Feel. Yes. It's a trigger. Physically. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, I can't talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. Done. You know, and I can't respond to this email or I can't, you know, like, got to shut it down. You're just and, like, uh, let me just take a few minutes and just think about it. Like, let me just yep. think about what this response Pause. needs to be. Pause. Um, so it is, it's that, it's that difference that you've talked about that um, respond, not react. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. Make, that's the, taking that pause is able to like physically shift the car mm-hmm. into the proper gear is, you know, to, so that you can respond and not react. Yeah. And what emotional intelligence does is it helps shorten the time for you to be able to do that. So yeah. it's to like, shift. it's uh there's like, about 20 different sections and segments about emotional intelligence. And it can be everything from empathy to optimism, to self-awareness, to self-regard, like understanding that you got things that you're not good at and be able to talk about them unemotionally. Like to be able to say, I kind of suck at that and that's okay. You know, and like, or someone calls you out on something that you did wrong. We have this right now where we got this defense mechanism that like is triggered um, it teaches you how to not do that too, and to be grateful and humble and all that good stuff. So is this is now your full-time career is being a coach? So I, well, I still have, I still work in the credit union movement and, um, I'm a director of sales and service for a company. And, um, but almost every day I'm coaching. It's like, let's talk about this. Let's help get to the bottom of what this looks like and how to shift the culture in our company um, with that, like being just um, like assuming the best of people, really like believing in people and where they, where they are right now, because the workplace can be a um, very versatile place um, Mm -hmm. where you've got people that just the mere presence of them can trigger you because of something that happened in your childhood or whatever that just certain personalities, moods, all that kind of stuff can, can also trigger you. And so it, 
I, I really, I'm teaching my managers how to be servant leaders, how to like not get so frustrated when staff isn't doing what they need to do because they're just learning and how to meet our employees where they are, how to love on our members, how to love on our employees and how to kind of bring emotion back into the workplace. Um, because so long uh-huh. emotion was like, you need to leave that at the door, but uh-huh. you know, we have more millennials that are in our um, workspace now than ever. And they are emotional. I know a lot of people, I know what I'm going to say may be a little controversial, but I don't care um, that a lot of people call them like snowflakes, right? Like they're, they're the thing. And I'm like, you guys are missing the point. The mi- you're missing the point. You, yeah. yeah, We have our millennial generation. And even the one after this is, are the most compassionate people, um, who see the possibility in things. And it challenges us generation, generation Xers and boomers and all that kind of stuff. It challenges that thought process. And I love that they are, we have more empathy than ever. And people who are like, they need to toughen up. Well, do they like, really? Like, do they, (laughs) do they like, how's that been working for you? Because you're kind of grumpy. Um, but it's, I love that they, they speak up when something's not going right. They speak up when someone's been treated, treated wrong. Do we have to agree with everything that everybody says all the time? No, but that's never changed in all the generations. Yeah, Like that's been the same thing in all generations. So I think we've got this, we have, um, employees that are entering our workforce now who, um, who are, they feel more. They need more feedback. And I told, I was having a conversation with some leaders and I'm like, look, we can all day long sit around and talk about how you guys feel that they need to, they have this trophy mentality and they need feedback all the time. But if you're not going to do anything to help support that need in your company, everything's going to fall apart. So talking about it and making fun about it is not going to make it go away. So have compassion, set yourself some boundaries, teach them how to um, emerge from your, um, from your, your workplace, a really amazing adult. Like we, we joke with the like adulting and all that kind of stuff. Teach them. Yeah. Where are going to learn it from? And let me just There's be clear. No class. <laughs> let me be very clear. We can't, there are some people who can really go to town on the millennial generation. Who did it? Yeah. You got problems with how they think and things like that. Who taught them how to do that? They didn't wake up going yeah. like, hey, let me let me feel all the feels. We right. allowed them at, at childhood to feel all the feels. Like, and I think it's beautiful and I think it's it's amazing. And so I do um I do a lot of that coaching at work. And then I also have my own coaching practice. So it's like as soon as I get in the car, I go girl boss. Mm-hmm. And then go. we are okay. it is on like Donkey Kong, like running business. Yeah, you're and, doing um, there's a lot of things that are coming out in 2020. So I just started um, last year. I've always wanted to have an email newsletter list. So I started that and it's right now we just started um, emotional intelligence training. So um, the right now, like if, if they hop on the newsletter, um, they actually get week one. And then if they're, if they hear this later on and we're kind of like in the middle of the um, it's going to be like 20 weeks of education for emotional intelligence and how to make it work in your life. 
um, I turn them into blog posts. So the information's never lost. They always have a place to get to it. Um, and then I've got some online courses that I'm working on right now um, that they can do self-study. So if they can't, if they can't afford like personal one-on-one coaching, um, they can do some self-study. A lot of people can get a lot from that. And then I've got a um, membership Facebook group that's about to launch. Um, I've had this, this group for a really long time. And so we're getting ready to have it into a membership group where that's kind of like where the conversation is held and like where all the magic is happening and everything. So is that like clients that you've are, is it kind of like an alumni group? No, it's, um, it's sometimes people, well, some of them are in there, but it's also people who, um, who don't want to do the full, they're not ready for that full, that one-on-one coaching and they can get, they can get a portion of that growth and that conversation. I teach a lot about vision boards, a lot about emotional intelligence, a lot about uncovering your purpose in that group. So it's more like, um, I do Q and A's and I have like live streams where we do like some, some group coaching sessions. So it's like group coaching. And then if they want to do the one-on-ones and I'm available for that as well, like that's really where that metamorphosis, like that that transition happens. This can happens, right? It could be a gateway into Mm -hmm. um, um, realizing that you like the work or the, you know, and then continuing on. Yeah, and I wanted to, I wanted to, um, there's four pillars on how I wanted to kind of build out our business. And the first one's free stuff. Like how can I get free stuff like podcasts and um, on social media posts and workbooks and things. And then the other one is the um, courses. So they could do self-study. The other one is like um, like the life coaching group. It's going to be so ridiculously affordable. Um, like a little monthly is like, I think it's going to be like $24 a month or something like that. Like so affordable um, for people who can't go all in on the one-on-one coaching um, and, but what's really cool that, um, I'm building into the group is, um, our scholarships. So the people that are in the group who are learning, um, can actually make little donations. And then once we get enough to pay for someone's for like a year membership into the group, then we bring, we do like, Somebody a, in. like a little lottery kind of thing. And then we choose someone to go in the group. So they get to have some, such a great, yeah, they get to, I want it to be like this community where they can really give back, um, in a very direct way. So. Right. Pay it forward. Yeah. Right. So where can people find all of this juicy good stuff about Amy? So (laughs) I am on Instagram a lot and I love doing stories. So um, Mm -hmm. I will always do these little things. I'm like, what's happening in the background? And um, sometimes kind of like vlog a little bit about my day. Um, So Amy Folkman um, is A-M-I-E. And then Folkman, we say Batman, Superman, Folkman. So F-O-L-K-M-A-N. And then, um, so the website is there. And then they can also just look up Amy Folkman um, and find my business page on Facebook. And then they can follow me on, if Facebook is their thing, I've got my little personal page on there too. All my stories are on there, behind the scenes, everything. Um, Some days I'll get super inspired and like need to say something. Like this past Monday, I was like, like, okay, it's a Monday. I was kind of feeling a little case of the Mondays, but I was like, <laughs> how can I repurpose this day? So I was like, who, who can I show up for today? Like who needs me to be at my best? So I thought of one person at work and I was like, this person needs me to show up. And so I was able to like almost instantly repurpose my mood 
and really show up. And so I was showing up for a bunch of people that day. And so I share those little tips and techniques on like how to, how to kind of get through your day sometimes. That's so perfect and so amazing and so needed and such a wonderful guidance for people. And I know that I get your weekly, is it weekly? Right? It is it's weekly. weekly. Yeah. yeah. Weekly. I would say it's weekly. Yeah. It's Congrats on that because weekly is tough. You're doing it. Yes. Your weekly emails. um, I signed up for that on her website, which was amyfolkman.com. Thank you so much. It's a dream that I had um, to be able to do that for about two years now. I finally, um, I finally just did it. It's like, we're so uncomfortable. And then like, (laughs) do the thing. Just Just do do the thing. thing. It's going to suck at first. But yeah. your first one is going to suck. And then your thousandth one is going to be amazing. So right. But you got to do one. You just yeah. got to get some rep. You just got to get some repetitions. Like exactly. I said. In the- and here's the great thing, yes. especially if someone out there is hearing this and they're thinking they got this idea. Do it now, because if you mess up, it's better mess up in front of a few people who are following <laughs> you than like a lot of people. Who are following people. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. They're, they'll say something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I yes. would love to, um, I love to get to know people. And actually through the email, if you email me from that email, I actually respond, like I'm, I can have a conversation. And um, because communication is like that strength for me, I love um, when someone reaches out to me in the DM or instant messenger or whatever, I'm always very mindful to like, respond back. And like, I'm just curious about people. So if they do have questions or if anything comes up from this podcast, like reach out, I am here. I just want to like as many people as I can help. That's what I want to do. So I want, I find that wonderful and I appreciate your work and I appreciate you. And I'm so happy that you took the time to talk to me today. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to it. I'm so happy to do it. Me too. Me too. You know, this is new to me. And like, we've talked about, like, it's not going to be perfect, but like, I just need to start, do the thing, just start doing it. Yes. (laughs) You know, you know, I'm, uh, I finally got to the point where I wasn't worried about sucking at it. (laughs) And that's, that's an important, that's important place to be. So I guess we'll take uh, this moment to say goodbye, everyone. Sounds great. Thank you guys. And thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for coming. Everything up to this point has led me here and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense have felt so wrong and out of place now seem to fit. To tell a story that was meant to be Cards left on tables and cards played